In a world where you're listening to Ballistic Radio, sit back as we discuss hard one lessons from the best and brightest of the personal defense and competition shooting industry has to offer. Let us help you help yourself, no matter where you are in your personal path. Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyCounter.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. Now here's your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com and get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other stuff at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. I need to remove the gum from my mouth so you guys get a show where I'm not slurring. I promise I haven't started drinking yet. Also remember, if you're in the, I don't know, Instagram, I've got one of those, at Ballistic J. So, hey Joe, how are you doing? How's it going? It's going pretty okay. Loving this weather. It's uh, <clears throat> not doing what it's supposed to be doing outside, but that's all right. Because you know what, Joe? What is it? This segment is brought to you by Lucky Gunner and Federal Premium Ammunition. Whether there was a firefight or you do, in fact, want to worry about that little guy, you need more ammo. And when it's time to restock, you can't beat Federal Premium Ammunition and LuckyGunner.com. With a shipping department that's always moving at 88 miles per hour, if I order a case of American Eagle from Lucky Gunner on a Thursday, it's at my doorstep ready to shoot before the weekend starts. Unless the carrier messes up. And we won't talk to John Korea about that because, you know, that was that was the shipper's fault. Oh, no, wait, the not the shipper. The Anyway, head to LuckyGunner.com today to check out their in-stock lineup of federal premium ammunition. Remember, unless you're on fire or drowning or I think I've already done leg day, uh, missing that, that's not good. I don't know. There might be a reason, but I can't think of one right now. You can never really have too much ammo. Hey, joining us is John Hopman. Hey, John, how's it going? Good morning, John. How are you? I'm, I'm excellent. So you get to be part of the magic today, which um, when you're involved in it, surprisingly, doesn't seem like magic at all. It seems like, how is someone getting paid to do this? But here we are. That's, that's the magical part. Yeah, right? I've tricked you all. I'm doing the Jedi hand wave right now. You will pay me anyway. Um, for those who don't know, who are you and what do you do? And we'll talk about stuff. Uh, I'm John Houtman and I run Filster Holsters, where we make a variety of concealed carry equipment, ranging from holsters, as the name might imply, to uh, a variety of low-profile medical uh, accessories for your tourniquets and bleeding control kits, as well as a couple other interesting things, like the Flex, which is a non-holster product, but facilitates the carry of all of your other gear. So what you're saying is you make all sorts of cool stuff, and if people haven't, they should be looking at, uh, at your things and, and buying them, right? Well, yes, absolutely. That's uh, the, the number one. Go buy stuff, uh, <laughs> and I've I've greased the skids a little bit, so you know, okay. uh, ballistic radio listeners can enter in all the holsters at checkout and get a little discount. Oh, well, which that's is, that's sweet of you. 
I know my generosity is absolutely endless, isn't it? Well, I mean, so this this way you can like track your appearance on the show and whether or not it did anything. Um, my bet is it didn't, but you know, <coughs> if if you the listeners would like to prove me wrong, that'd be that'd be awesome. So all the holsters, um, which is funny because uh, Dark Gear was on not too long ago, or at least briefly on, and. We did a we did a Dio is better code I want to say and that yeah. made me made me happy because Dio is better but you know I've never had that conversation with you and this might now become a thing with all the people I know that come on the show that make holster products who's better Dio or Ozzy that's a kind of a little bit of a tough question I might dodge the question a little bit are we talking about Ozzy today what has what has Ozzy become I don't know. Ozzy had like that weird kind of like glammy hair metal phase, which is a little off-putting. But well, so in fairness, that's the one. Are, are, thing, that's the one thing are, I want. Are, are we talking about Black Sabbath Ozzy or Ozzy? Ah, uh, well, I mean, do you like Britney Spears when she first came out, or you know, today? Because it's kind of like the same question in my mind. But I mean, that's just. That's just me. It's okay. You dodge that question because if you say that Ozzy's better than Dio, suddenly I'll be. We've lost Topman. I don't know where he went. Um, no. So anyway, uh, the dump, the dump button. Uh, yeah, I don't know where that one is in the studio, but I'm pretty sure if I make like the 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 slit throating, yeah, the the throat slitting, slit throating. Jesus. Now we're into Pornhub. Ah, uh, but luckily the FCC, <laughs> the FCC is no longer involved in the show, so I can be. Um, my producer is just looking at me like what the hell is going on right now anyway add leave my first question for you is how did you get started in the concealed carry product business like what on earth ever was like you know what i want to do this thing it well it started purely by accident actually i i had been a mechanic for a number of years and i was uh working in some crummy neighborhoods here and there, uh, back in Philadelphia. And I would also do a little bit of side work where I would, you know, take some of my tools and equipment and go to another shop here and there after work and, you know, help them diagnose something. And I realized that I was walking around with my livelihood and occasionally, uh, more money than I wanted to be walking around with. I said, man, I need a gun for this. <laughs> and uh, I uh, uh, got myself a firearm. I got a Gen 2 Glock 19, which I should have never sold, mm-hmm. and uh, started getting involved in training. And at the time, I was very green and very new to all of that. And so I was doing the thing that you know new gun owners did where they you know, have a gun for a few weeks and then get a different one and, you know, I was looking around at the holster options and I, and I knew well enough what I should be getting, but I was, you know, didn't want to, you know, pay a hundred bucks and wait, whatever it was, 12 to 16 weeks for a custom Kydex holster at the time when I wasn't entirely sure that I was going to have the same gun that I had when, (laughs) when the holster arrived. Right. And I was looking at the time, there weren't really any tutorials for how to make Kydex holsters. And I uh, said to myself, well, if I can't figure out how to make a holster in 16 weeks, then 
being a mechanic and having gone to art school did absolutely nothing for me. And I set out to learn how to essentially how to teach myself how to, how to make holsters. And since there weren't any educational resources at the time, uh, I decided I was going to document the process as best I could of figuring it out. Uh, when I was a mechanic, one of the things that I learned was when something new comes in that no one's seen before, don't be the first one to work on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to watch someone else go through the struggle before you jump in with both feet. And I thought that I would provide a similar service to all the folks out there who were thinking about learning how to make holsters. So I decided I would document my various screw-ups and foibles and uh, uh, learning process on a YouTube channel. And as that progressed, that put me in touch with a number of people who were in the same position that I was. Uh, Folks like, uh, you know, Tom Kelly from Dark Star and Andrew Henry uh, uh, from Henry Holsters and uh, my friend uh, uh, Tony from Multi Holsters. And uh, we kind of got to know each other online and were sharing things back and forth about uh, what we were figuring out. <coughs> and as I got better, the videos got better. And as the videos got better, the holsters got better. And at some point back in 2010 or 2011, I got an email from someone who said that they wanted to pay me for something that I was making. And at the time I didn't know better than to say no. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that progressed into something where one day I looked down at my phone and realized that I was going to make more money answering emails than I was going to be uh, fixing cars. And I didn't want to have to come home from work and stay up until three 30 in the morning to make holsters. Uh, just to get them done, and I decided to take the plunge and go into business making. And that progressed into a scenario where I had a backlog of (laughs) making custom holsters, and in desperation, I decided to design a few things that could be uh, in stock and on hand and uh, abandon the custom shop and try to bootstrap a workshop on my own with uh, vacuum forming and a a couple employees and the things that I wanted to be in stock turned out to run at a backlog and uh, that wasn't sustainable. I didn't want to have a backlog and I I didn't want to be chained to the bench uh, making everything, you know, because when you're running a workshop and making all the holsters and answering all the emails and shipping all the product, you're kind of like chained to the oar and whipping yourself to keep the boat rowing. Yep. And at the time, at that time, um, my good friend Andrew Henry had developed a much more sophisticated and efficient process than I had, but didn't have the volume of sales yet to necessarily justify all of that. And he reached out to me and we had a discussion about what it would take to uh, take my designs and run them through his process. And that began the uh, uh, the time in which we began to outsource a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And that put me in a position where I could actually expand the product line, develop things that I you know, uh, hadn't originally been capable of producing on my own and then expanding into different materials and concepts and, 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 and processes and, now Filster's in operation with several different vendors, which uses, you know, vacuum forming and injection molding and a sew shop and laser cutting and, and all sorts of different 
interesting doors have opened for us in terms of development, and I get to do things now like, you know, actually design new things instead of slave away sanding holsters for 12 hours a day. Well, and that's kind of that's kind of ideal. So we've got to go to break. Um, and when we get back, I've, I've got a, I've got a kind of like question that will be a reminiscence and we can talk about that a little bit, but right now we're talking with uh, John Hotman from Filster. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatterguns since 1977. A legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the EDC-X9, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match-grade accuracy, superior ergonomics and concealability with modern service pistol capacity and reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So we're talking with John Hopman from uh, Filster, and before the break, you were sort of talking about how you got started in all of this. And I don't think there, so there are a couple of things that I don't think people really realize. Um, And one, at least when I first got started in concealed carry um, and Ohio got concealed carry in 2004, the idea of a quick ship concealed carry holster that you would actually want to use was almost unheard of, right? Oh, yeah. Um, There was, there had been a really uh, prevailing paradigm of waiting for quality. Like, you just did not buy something off the shelf or on Amazon Prime, which didn't exist, I don't think, uh, that with something that anyone would recommend to you, you would get like a, a, a Raven or a Milt Sparks and you would, you would wait and you would be happy. Yeah. And that was, that was how it was. And, um, you know, the, the, it was a little bit of a, a, a pressure cooker because anyone who jumped into the game back in, you know, 2006 and 2010, uh, ran with a lead time and processes weren't super efficient and everything was made by hand and you could either scale by adding employees or scale by pushing your backlog out. And uh, the more people who jumped into the game, you know, anyone who jumps in uh, has the lowest lead time. So they get a lot of traffic early on Mm -hmm. and then their lead time uh, balloons out of control. And then you find whatever the new, uh, homeostasis for lead times are and uh, uh, that kind of applied a lot of pressure on all of us to reduce lead times and have things in stock and uh, that was an exciting time (laughs) (laughs) and uh, yeah that definitely drove a a lot of decisions that we made and you know you reach a point where you're like well I can't do anything in my own shop right now to reduce lead time. So you start looking for opportunities to create other products which are available. Mm-hmm. So you 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 start thinking, okay, what 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 can I design? What problems can I solve? Uh, what uh, um, processes can I can I take advantage of in order to provide 
valuable solutions to my customers that I can keep in stock. And uh, fortunately, through uh, you know relationships that I have with you know companies like uh, Henry Holsters, we don't need to worry about in stock items anymore. Sure. And uh, that is. Uh, I'm I'm really proud of that, but that's also becoming kind of the the new normal in a lot of cases. Well, and it seems like too that um, so it's funny because I'm sort of I'm not unique, but I'm sort of odd in that I am quite a bit more interested in the history behind you know so from like a a teaching standpoint like the history behind techniques and like where do they develop and why and stuff like that but also from an equipment selection standpoint um what was available in certain time frames and things like that and so like one of the things that that I don't think people think about a lot is up until the 80s and even the early 90s um revolvers were very prevalent inside of like law enforcement carrying stuff like that and even private citizens uh, because the advent of a mass-produced reliable semi-automatic pistol magazine that was reliable uh, wasn't until around then and it's one of those things that we take for granted these days and you fast forward yeah. to 2019 and like from a concealed carry gear standpoint um you know good concealed carry gear that you don't have to wait super long for is a relatively new thing. And I don't know that people appreciate that necessarily, you know? Well, I mean, I, I think anyone who's tracked it appreciates it. I mean, there's, there are a lot of folks that I run into who have been around for a little while who, remember the bad old days of, of waiting for everything. Yeah. There are a lot of, you know, all the new kids on my lawn don't, don't, don't remember. Um, and, uh, there is a certain amount of, um, managing expectations. Sure. Every, everyone is in these sort of like, uh, Amazon, uh, prime range of expectations. Sure. And, uh, uh, it's it's uh, it's delicate occasionally to manage folks who are um, used to ordering things that show up instantaneously, mm-hmm. and but forget that they're interfacing with a small business. Right, and sometimes that requires a little bit of of, of, of reminding. But it's also really really nice to be able to give something to someone that they really want and are excited about in a reasonable time frame. And the uh, it's another one of those instances where uh, technological advancements in terms of uh, what's available to smaller and smaller customers, like you know, back in 2010, you couldn't really get a serious vacuum former and CNC machine for anything that was approaching a, a reasonable price. But you know, as we went along, you know, things like 3D printing and desktop CNC and, and smaller uh, uh, benchtop routers started to become a lot more accessible to uh, people at a lower price point, and that kind of drove some of what made um, this possible. So, you know, <clears throat> nowadays, you know, just as 
10 years ago, you could, you know, get a whole bunch of blue guns and a foam press and start cranking out holsters. It doesn't take all that much more for someone who's serious about this to get a little bit of uh, uh, CAD CAM software under their belt, start making decent vacuum forms, uh, get some uh, available vacuum forming equipment, and then start routing these things on a um, affordable benchtop router to, to, to trim them. And that saves a lot of time. If I was if I was jumping into this today, um, with that available, I definitely wouldn't be making these by hand at all. I uh, had occasion when I when I moved, I had a little workshop for prototyping in my basement that I couldn't take with me. So I donated that to a friend of mine, and he was able to skip years and years and years of struggle in terms of his own learning curve. Uh, of making holsters and start producing things that were way better than what I was making when I first started. So that's really gratifying. Well, and that's, I think that's something else too that maybe people don't realize uh, about the community in general. And then we're going to have to go to break here. So I'll, I'll say this, we'll go to break and then I'll talk about medical gear, which is something I know is near and dear to your heart. Uh, yeah. But but what I don't think a lot of people realize is the camaraderie and sort of the uh, rising tide raises all ships sort of attitude that a lot, not all, but most of the good businesses that I want to deal with sort of have for each other, even though theoretically um, you're competitors, you know, and I I think that kind of speaks very well to the people that are in the game these days. But um, I, I agree. So the, the issue is that when you get into carrying a gun, there's enough differentiation in what people find comfortable and effective in terms of uh, concealing a gun that you can't, you absolutely cannot make something for everyone. Uh, and when you're faced with that, you have to be able to recommend things to your customers. Uh, you know, what I make is not going to work for absolutely everybody. And I would never claim that, oh, yeah, well, anyone can, can carry this. Well, you know, there's, you know, differences in people and differences in what they find comfortable. And, and I need to have a list of high quality recommendations that I can feel comfortable referring people to. And it really helps that the people who are making those things that are really high quality are friends of mine. Yeah, makes, it makes life simple. Um, we got to go to break. We're talking with John Hopman from Filster. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. And this segment's brought to you by BigTexOutdoors.com. BigTexOutdoors.com is the best place for you to find all your everyday carry needs at the absolute best prices. Maybe you need all the lumens from Surefire at the lowest price. No problem. Spend too much time alone in your room and now you need an RMR on your carry gun. BigTexOutdoors.com has those. Glock accessories? Yes. Fast, cheap shipping, 100% hassle-free returns, all that and more. And best of all, BigTexOutdoors.com has Ike. He's a good man and thorough. I like Ike, everybody likes Ike, and you'll like Ike too. 
Visit BigTaxOutdoors.com today and find out what happens when every customer is a friend, not just an order. So we're talking with John Hopman from Filster. Um, we were sort of discussing the uh, paradigm shifts that have occurred. Look at me using big buzzwords. Uh, inside of the, the concealed carry gear um, space over the last decade or so. But something that I think is super important and super intriguing is the push for uh, being able to have medical gear on your person, even in your day-to-day life. So not just wearing a duty belt, but uh, like I'm out and around and I've got this on me and you've kind of helped with that. So why do you think that's important and what got you into it? And um, yeah, go from there. So it's uh, pretty obvious to say that people hurt themselves and each other by accident at a rate which absolutely dwarfs uh, intentional violence. Um, like the number of accidental injuries and car accidents and, and, and self-inflicted foolishness that, that you'll come across in your life is significant. Uh, a friend of mine <laughs> just had to hold someone's thumb on when they got it caught in the door of their Uber and the car drove off. And, you know, he was surrounded by a group of people who said, well, what do you carry all that medical gear as he was holding the thumb in his hand? So, <laughs> like, like, can you think of a dumber question to ask in that moment? So, uh, yeah, like. Hold on. I'm sorry to interrupt. I try not to do it with guests, but I, I just want to back up <laughs> and make sure, make sure that I understand. So someone is carrying medical gear. And uh, just correct, yeah. me, correct me when I go off the rails. So someone is carrying medical gear. All right. An accident happens where the someone carrying medical gear needs to use the medical gear to help uh, keep someone's thumb kind of close to their body. I don't know. Maybe maybe control some hemorrhaging. I've never ripped my own thumb off, but I assume that maybe there's some blood involved in that. That strikes me as reasonable, yeah. Yeah, Okay. I so. Okay. Um, and a group of bystanders, as this person is pulling out medical gear to deal with this now uh, wayward thumb, go, well, I'm sorry, I said wayward thumb, and now I'm like, carry on my wayward thumb. Um, I really need to medicate myself better. <laughs> it's in my head, it won't leave. Um, the, the group of individuals surrounding <laughs> this person, it goes, hey, why do you got all that stuff for that, like, that's, that's it. like the most audaciously stupid thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't know. I thought carry on my wayward thumb was pretty dumb, but no, but that's a, that's a to- totally, uh, well, I mean, you are a dad, so you're inclined to make that kind of joke. Yes, I am. Uh, uh so, uh, yeah, so like people hurt themselves constantly. And so when you look at it, the most, uh, the leading cause of preventable pre-hospital trauma death is bleeding. Like that's the thing that kills the most people before they get to the hospital um, in terms of trauma that you can actually do something about. So bleeding control is really important. I think it's as important, if not more important than carrying a gun. Uh, frankly, I think more people are in are, um 
more people have the capacity to do that kind of help than I think are prepared to do uh, uh, violence. Uh, and it's easier to help, I think. It's a lot, there's a lot less liability involved in, 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 in helping out there. And I don't know, like if you're on a class trip or at a sporting event or there's, there's nowhere where you can't carry medical gear. You're not going to walk through a single metal detector where they're going to say, oh, you can't have this. Like it's all TSA approved. You can carry it on a plane, in an airport, in foreign countries, at any event, at any location. There's no excuse at all not to have medical equipment. And it doesn't take all that much to do some pretty decent work on someone, especially if you're in an area where there's like a reasonable response time. Right. Uh, if you've got a tourniquet, maybe a chest seal, but you can typically improvise that. I, I would recommend improvising a chest seal before I'd recommend improvising a tourniquet. Um, or you could just carry the stuff you need. I mean, that's pretty easy. Right. So um, part of what we've been doing is um, working on streamlining as much as possible the uh, uh, delivery system for these things. So we've got the flat pack tourniquet carrier, uh, which is a way to stow and stage a softy wide or a cat as small and conveniently as possible and have it on your person at all times. And we've also developed the pocket emergency wallet, which is a substitute for those like, uh, you know, vacuum sealed plastic sleeved bricks of uh, medical gear that you need to, you know, if you get one of those, you know, pre-made med kits, you need to, you know, tear it open with both hands. And when you use the contents, you've, you need a whole new kit. So the pocket emergency wall, is an elastic sleeve that comes from us with um, mini compression dressing, a hemostatic extra gauze and a pair of gloves, which will do some pretty decent bleeding control work. And, uh, you can restock it as you use the things. You can install different components because the form factor for the uh, uh, sleeve allows for that. You can access anything inside one-handed, and it, uh, the elastic uh, sleeve will kind of conform to you a little bit better than a vacuum-sealed brick of medical gear will in your pocket over time. Yeah. So we're focused on uh, ensuring that those kinds of essentials are convenient and affordable enough that you don't really have any excuse for not having them. So I've just magically had an idea for like how to make the, the pew a little bit better. Right. And okay. I think what you need to do is get a Jack Jack sized individual with like pockets just all over the back of them and have them lay on like 20 or 30 of those at a time before <clears throat> you ship them out so that they compress themselves like they're pre-compressed. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. That's just, yeah, we could... Uh... Just an idea. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm that, so, I, that, that's, that's, that, that, that incurs an employee cost that we then have to pass on. Oh, yeah. Okay, we don't, want to, do, we don't want to do that. Um, if we've got about two minutes left in this segment, thank God. And I'm sorry to everyone listening. I don't know why I didn't turn the dad jokes off before. I walked into the booth this morning. I thought I did, and apparently I didn't. Um, and I apologize to everyone. So something something you kind of touched on, but I, I'd like to get your take on it just 
super quick, and then maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more next segment, is like, so whatever moral compunction someone may have against utilizing violence to save their own lives or the lives of someone else, um, most folks can learn how to use Medgear, right? Yes. I think the idea of training to be medically prepared doesn't um, cause the same apprehension that training for violence does. Now, let me backtrack. I, I, I slipped up and I said that most people don't have the capacity for violence. I think that most people do have the capacity for violence. It scares them and they kind of bury it in their minds, right. kind of the same way that I've, I have a theory that it's possible to be puritanical and phobic of violence the same way that you that, that folks can have those same um, kind of self-loathing and, and worrying inclinations about other aspects of their humanity, like sexuality, for example. So, like, people repress those sides of themselves. People aren't as conditioned to repress the side of themselves that wants to help people. Um, And they might see a greater social good involved in that. And it doesn't... They're not... They don't... They're not as scared of themselves when training for the potential to treat an injury as they are maybe scared of themselves to uh, uh, see what on the other side of the door training for violence. So I I think that gets more people in the boat uh, in some ways in terms of being uh, prepared and valuable and um, uh, what am I, what am I trying to say? Proficient? Proficient and also uh, kind of leveraging their inclination to help in an emergency. Well, and uh, so we got to go to break, but I, I have a thought, and I'd be curious to get your take on it. Uh, right now we're talking with John Hopman from Filster. You're listening to a very distractible ballistic radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by LuckyGunner.com and Federal Premium Ammunition. They paid for this, so you don't have to. Um, we're talking with John Hopman from Filstern, and I'm making a bunch of not very funny jokes, which isn't much different than every other show, except these jokes are even more not funny than usual. Um, they go to 11. Ha! <laughs> and before the break, we were sort of, uh, what, Joe, you're just shaking your head at me the entire episode, Joe. Are you pretty, are you doing like the you don't know me thing? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Okay, I appreciate that. Um <clears throat> so it seems like too, and I I kinda like to get your take on this. Um to get to a baseline level of proficiency at dealing out violence requires um quite a bit of effort, in my opinion. Uh, when you when you start looking at some of the other things that go with it as far as avoidance, de-escalation, legal issues, uh, not being a danger to yourself or others, whereas it seems like, and I'm not saying to be good at it, but just like baseline level of proficiency, somebody can get baseline proficient at controlling a bleed pretty darn quick. What? Yes, no, maybe, disagree, agree, thoughts, expound? I, I, I think so. Um, 
first of all, there's uh, you don't have to confront any dark part of yourself in order to prepare yourself to help someone who's who's bleeding. You don't need to, you know, o- open the door in your mind that 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 makes you that that, that recognizes the part of you that's that's capable of violence. So that's a that's one hurdle to getting involved in um, uh, training for for uh, applying violence. Uh, also, the learning curve associated with I don't know a, applying a uh, tourniquet or a pressure dressing is pretty shallow. Mm-hmm. You can get people up to speed on that in a day. And if you do a refresher occasionally, or you do a little bit of practice, uh, it's easy to get as fast as you would ever need to get um, with a tourniquet. Getting as fast as you would ever need to get with a gun takes a lot of ammunition and a lot of practice and a lot of doing it right. Mm-hmm. There's also an enormous amount of uh, training available, much more than you think, uh, for uh, you know TECC or TCCC kinds of uh, training for for bleeding control. You can go to uh, stop. I think if you just Google "stop the bleed" or go to bleedingcontrol.org, it'll put you in touch with all of the uh, instructors in your area who are offering classes, and a lot of them are even free. Uh, you know, free or extremely cheap, and they're not going to require you to necessarily travel out in the middle of nowhere at the ass crack of dawn to shoot a lot of expensive ammunition at a $300 class and require a lot of subsequent practice. Like, you can get people up to speed on tourniquets really quick. It's kind of, it's not counterintuitive. It's not loud and frightening uh and oh uh, i can make putting a tourniquet on loud and frightening just you watch you can you can (laughs) you can and i've also i have been in 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 classes where they um make an effort to increase the stress level but that's not going to be something uh that you're going to encounter in in, in a basic class no i don't think i don't think there's really any excuse for not knowing that information yep uh i think that People talk a lot about solutions for um, terrorism and acts of mass violence, and I think that the best solution for that is resilient people. That's what it's always going to boil down to, because the more you try to scare people and, you know, disenable a word, uh, you know, that doesn't create resilient populations. And if you've got a population of people who are, more prepared, more inclined to help, and have the tools and, and capabilities on hand in order to solve those problems and 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 and, and mitigate uh, death and trauma. Then I, I think you're making greater strides than any kinds of uh, restrictions and scaremongering you could you could you could drum up. Well, and that's really at the end of the day what. You know, so the part of the community that I enjoy, right, and, and a lot of people try and politicize things that I wish they weren't, um, you know, I, for the most part, the part of the community I enjoy and the part of the community that I am super behind and supportive of is the, like you said, just let's make resilient people. Resilient people that 
are inclined to help one another um, when they're able to. And that's, yeah. that seems like something we should all be able to agree on, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think resiliency is one of the best gifts you could give to anyone. I, I think resiliency is the kind of thing that has an enormous ripple effect. Um, I think that uh, feeling efficacious is, is extremely good for people. I'm not advocating that people are paranoid or uh, always in search of circumstances in, in, in which they can be a superhero. But I think that, you know, if you've ever helped someone change a tire or push their broken down vehicle out of the way, uh, uh, you should be carrying your med gear. Right. That's uh, it. It's just that simple. Well, and it's, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Like if, if I magically made uh mostly benevolent dictator of the world tomorrow, and I'm, I'm lying. I wouldn't be a benevolent dictator even a little bit, but let's say I was um, rule. Number one would be everyone carries med gear like off the bat. Like that, that's the first, uh, the first rule of John is, is now in charge. That, that would be it. And, and like you said, it's, Super easy to do um, without compromising your lifestyle in a meaningful way, and you know one of the reasons. Like you've you've been a small part of that with some of the stuff that you make, and and not to say that there aren't other excellent products, but because uh, there are. But I I really think the flat pack is great. It's one of the the coolest little things I've ever encountered. Um, and so kudos to you, sir. Well, thank you, John. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. Um, so we're coming up on the end of the show. If people want to get more stuff from you or uh, anything like that, uh, follow you on social media, how can they do that? We are on Instagram as at Filster. That's P-H-L-S-T-E-R. Uh, Facebook.com slash Filster and FilsterHolsters.com. You can also find a lot of our stuff on Amazon, Amazon Prime as well. Uh, and that's where we're at. We also have the flat pack users group on Facebook and the flex users group. Since the flex is a kind of interesting and unique and fairly new product. There's a entire users group of people who are kind of a hotbed of figuring out how to use it and helping each other out with in terms of, uh, uh, discovering all the potential of that product, which is a great space to, uh, see a lot of our products and, and encounter a lot of, um, more serious users who have experience with the brand. So I'm just going to point out that you missed a perfect opportunity to use Hive of Scum and Villainy. Just like just slide it right in there, and you you didn't. And minus two points, sir. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I, I'm so, I was not going to disparage our customers like that. <laughs> it's not. No, no, that's not a disparagement. That's a that's a compliment. But hey, anyway, I appreciate you coming on this morning, man. Uh, very much. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries, dude. Blast. Yeah. Hey, be safe. I will talk to you soon. So make sure you check out our website, BallisticRadio.com, like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. Also, remember, we're on Spotify now. Thanks, Joe. And you can check out stuff on Instagram at BallisticJ. 
Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week. Don't